0: Well, welcome back to part two of Marketing as an Entrepreneur with Mike Foster here on Marketing Meanders with Sally and Sam. Uh, today, we dive straight back into things and we'll be looking at how should you do things for yourself? How much should you do for yourself as an entrepreneur, especially with your marketing? How do you attract the customers that you want and ensure that your proposition is consistent and that it evolves in a sensible way over time? How do you define success in your marketing as an entrepreneur when you have few reference points for your new business compared to everyone else in the world? And also, how many uh, new businesses actually survive after the first few years? What are the things that they should absolutely be doing right away with their marketing as an entrepreneur what should you do and uh, and then what should you definitely not do and, and also how do you account for the human uh, cost that this might take a toll on you personally working all the gals god sends and and pushing yourself too hard perhaps are there ways in which you can mitigate and, and manage that so uh, we get all of those insights from mike and a few others as well so please do listen on we hope you enjoy it and uh, well i'll see you at the other end anybody starting a business now, it, yeah, they'll be very, they'll be hit, they'll be marketed to massively to say, you know, yes, there's an exciting thing here, it's easy to do. We talked about it with um, uh, Hugo Pickering a while ago about, you know, automation, automated marketing, and and, and Dave with the other day as well, the idea that, you know, yes, it's quite easy, you, know, you press a button, and then your AI, you know, programmatic, you know, uh, campaign will go off and run away and just give us a bit of money, and then, hey, go, here you go, it's all, it's all mar- marvelous. So, there are, I and mean, increasingly, I can see that's going to happen more and more and more, isn't it? There's going to be these nicely sort of packaged, you know. It's great the the, the technology is moving on, but I mean, then you do lose the the skills. It's the left and right hand brain marketer again. You lose the skills of understanding what you, how you can manipulate this this to actually work effectively through your marketing plan, rather than just, okay, great, I can pay some money to this this platform and then it happens for me. It's more pay money to an expert who can help you work out what you need to do, and they've spent the opportunity cost you're losing in terms of all the time. They've spent keeping up to date on what that platform's doing, how it can perform. That's so important, isn't it?
1: Well, as someone who loves numbers, one of the numbers I'd love to know is if you, if you're a software company, how much you're earning out of customers that subscribe to your software but don't use it. Or <laughs> if you're, or if you're Google, you know, for example, you know, I won't name a product to be unfair, but you you'd see that you'd see a product and everybody thinks, oh, I can do a really cheap video by doing that, so they subscribe to it and ne- never use it. So I'd love to know that number. And i'd love to know a number from google about how many do how many people try google ad campaigns and chuck a 100 quid here and 100 quid there without any idea what it's doing doesn't get them any business at all I, I bet that is thousands of millions
2: i agree a pay-per-click is a really really dangerous thing for people to get sucked into because what they don't understand is that if you put if you suppose your business is handbags and you want to you make one of your keywords handbags oh gosh lots of people are going to click on that who are actually looking for a Prada handbag or a, a, nothing to do with Cotswolds handbags, and you pay for all of those clicks that don't lead to any sales. It's really dangerous. What I mean, well done Google, because I'm sure they get paid for it, but it's it's really dangerous.
0: Exactly and as you say. So that's where the, sort of the agency or the marketing expert, the PPC, the search agency, really come in and say, right. So straight away. What's your USP? Let's go back to the marketing Plan. Let's understand what you're trying to sell here. Let's let's refine. Let's define what you're doing and exactly. But it, and it, and they seem they almost seem in reflection like relatively simple questions. But it's you can see, can't you? If you're the entrepreneur and you're going, oh great, okay, yeah, yeah. So I've, I've heard, numbers. A great case study. Hundred quid might get me ten handbags sold. Brilliant. I'll do that because that that'll get me going for first quarter. Or you know, maybe the very expensive handbag um, gets you going. And you think, well, this is the way to do it, but. You've not had somebody asking those questions and reflecting back and then helping you get the most, the biggest bang for your buck, haven't you, really, and the appropriateness.
1: Pay for advertising is a, is a classic one for me that relates back to strategy and plan, because, you know, if you just want to go out there and spend money on mass market, trying to attract anybody and, and like say, use handbag as your key phrase, it's going to be inexpensive. But if you know the customer you're trying to attract, you're... You know the language that that customer's trying to uh, that customer uses, and you know the right channel to pull them towards you. You can, if it is Google, then you can go and spend Google appropriately because they call a handbag, I don't know, a clutch bag or something like that. You can, it's very much more relevant to to the audience you're trying to attract. Plus the plus in terms of the audience, you know, if we talk about handbags, someone who's a premium customer, you've got a premium product, might call a handbag something different to somebody
2: who's wants a handbag at five quid, for example. That's exactly right. And you also have to remember that this is actually your brand you're endangering so that if you get get it wrong and your brand then starts appearing in the wrong kind of places, that's going to damage your brand. And that's a kind of long term risk that you've got to be aware of as well. It's not. Yes, you might not get any sales out of it, but equally, you might have tarnished your brand because it suddenly started appearing on, I don't know. Um, Woolworths doesn't exist anymore but you might be a Prada handbag that suddenly you've only got Woolworths people looking at it who then think they're too expensive and they start talking to all their friends saying they're really lovely but they're massively overpriced and then you've got brand damage
1: yeah and I'm I'm sure you you guys have seen it as well in terms of business owners entrepreneurs they sort of set their business up with a vision of what they want for their business they go out and market it without actually much focus on that vision and actually then start to attract the wrong customers. They start to attract the customers they didn't want. They start to position them, their product or their service in a different way. And therefore they think, Oh, crikey, I haven't got the business. I vision visualized. I don't like my business anymore. So I think, you know, your branding has to be defined right at the start of your journey. You know with Again, it won't be 100% accurate, and I don't think it's ever 100% refined, but you've got to start with some sort of brand vision. Well,
2: it will change. The more customers you have, the more it will change. It's just mm-hmm. inevitable that, you know, when Coca-Cola started, it had cocaine in it, mm-hmm. and it wasn't actually – that colour wasn't red. It wasn't red at the very beginning. If you look at the, if you look at Coca-Cola logos at the very beginning, they're kind of ornate and um, very bizarre and not red. And their brands change massively. It's a really good example of how brand changes. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting that part. I mean, going back right to the beginning again, as you say, Mike, about, um, you know, defining a brand and and understanding what the brand is. And I suppose sometimes people might have a very clear vision about what they their ambition for for it. So, you know, this is these are going to be the best handbags and what we always come back to handbags but these are going to be the best handbags you can buy you know in, in western europe this is going to be absolute top notch you know and then you find out actually producing that is totally enough cost efficient and you know you, you you lose customers there's not a big enough market of customers for you to get to to actually to sell these things And you go okay well is that really the vision i mean it's sort of having enough of a an understanding of your brand isn't it to begin with and then and then but then again i'm sort of hearing it's the idea of You've got a plan in praise as a, a malleable vision almost. So there's a vision, there's a plan, there's there's a zest to the centre of it, but there's a clear definition of what you want to do and achieve. But you have to learn. Would you say is it like learning on a, obviously a continual basis? But in particular, if there was a graph, you've almost got the learning curve. Is sort of like the learning's up here, and it you continue learning, but it sort of goes down a bit as you as you establish yourself almost in an yeah. inverse mm-hmm.
1: way. I, th- I think. Uh, brand is an evolution um, in terms of you know you, you have that starting point you've got to have that starting point in terms of you know, some of the simple things you know in terms of you know, obviously your name because your name's quite important in terms of reflection on brand how people would reference it what you whether you've got some sort of consistent design look and feel you know you might have some sort of symbol like your logo that re- references that's this sort of like the, the touch points where most people think that's what their brand relates to but you've got to have that as a starting point I think then the rest evolves as you start to have the conversations and again it comes back to your um, your market research we talked about earlier and do your market research with those customers that you are trying to pull towards you because you know, you'll know you evolve that brand messaging because you'll get a better understanding of how your prospects or your ideal customers would see what you think is your vision
2: or your brand. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think you have to listen to your customers really well. I read a really interesting article the day that said that one of the most important things to do with your market research would be say to people, if you saw this brand on and give it various things, a shovel, a, a handbag, a computer, how would that make you feel about that thing? Because they ought to have some kind of feeling for your brand that would make you think it was a reliable shovel or an expensive shovel or a shovel that was absolutely only for women, you know, that kind of thing. And it's really important to see what your brand means to your customers and then market, either change it if it's wrong or market to that audience.
1: I think I think I totally agree. And I think at startup for me, the, the key thing to really hook into is this piece I've talked about earlier about the value proposition, hence why I use the business model canvas because it's central part of the, the canvas. If your brand at start point has your customer totally in mind, um, and therefore you're considering the value to your customer as much as the benefits that they, they can have. And then you're shaping your business in terms of how I can take that value to them and pull them towards me with interest. That starts that shaping of the brand.
2: It also it also makes it easier if, to price it, because if you can see what your value is, then you can say, this is something they can't this is a unique value I'm giving to them so I can price it quite a lot quite high or if it's something but something they could get anywhere but I'm just a nicer person to do it with you possibly need to pitch your price more comparatively with the audience and it's a, it's, a, it's a, got all sorts of things that come come away from it
1: yeah. yeah. And, um, and pricing could be a whole different podcast, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, the it's um...
2: the most you <laughs> can possibly do. Yeah.
1: And again, no nobody's ever going to get it right. You know, and uh, again, about the test and the measuring piece, I think, in terms of uh, where you think. But again, it's so important how it reflects on your brand. And if you want to be a premium product, p- pricing at a, a fiver, for example, you know, again, you just <laughs> got to misunderstand the way your brand and your positioning is. And it's yeah. not
2: all about the cost of the product. I mean, I'm sure I've, I've no idea how much it costs to build a Maserati, but you can bet your life that they're that they charge more than the actual cost of the bits. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah.
0: I've got a, a quick two-parter question here, actually. Just sorry, if it's two-parter, but going on from that is about because it just makes me think. When I, when, if you ask somebody, think of an entrepreneur for me, or think of a, think of an entrepreneur, not perhaps like a Richard Branson or something like that, but some some on a on a consumer product you see. And I'm sort of thinking of like, um, so you know, you, Ben and Jerry's or something like that originally, or, or um, you know, what's the um, oh the smoothies? Um, oh gosh, uh, simp- um. God, innocent. Of the them Isn't that awful? Innocent, innocent, innocent. innocent 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 smoothies and something else I saw the other day when I, and I used to I used to subscribe to this sort of craft um beer thing a monthly subscription thing, and every time you get a beer with you've got the story on the back of, of the, the, the the two people who got together one night after a drink and decided we can make a better beer than this and it's all that sort of so obviously it becomes the brand heritage, doesn't it? but I suppose particularly for a number of people who are small, small scale entrepreneurs starting off small business owners and they're thinking well i'm I'm the the, the single artisan who's here crafting the handbags say and i had a reason because i really enjoyed making handbags i used to be a you know financial i used to be a financial controller in, in, a, in a large um you know corporate and then i suddenly decided i it's my habit my um, hobby and I, I i did this and so clearly a lot of the brand is themselves isn't it as well so it's not just the product it's actually it's them it's their passion it's their why isn't it if we go back to simon sinek side of things you know it's what why you do it i do it because i love making handbags and i love seeing people enjoy using them, using them at events and looking gorgeous, you know, that's your sort of brand, isn't it? You've sort of, and you've got to kind of um, encompass that into your marketing. And, but I mean, obviously a lot of people do do that these days. Um, and I think perhaps there's almost like what we were saying earlier on, like a template. Some people might feel there's a bit of a template around this whole personal journey and passion. And if I tell my story, it should get traction and people will quite quickly get onto that perhaps if I found the right audience. But do, do you find, I don't know, that either that sort of manifests itself, but also, my second part of this was about sort of timing about how long it takes to be successful in quotation marks. How long do they actually, if you've done your journey, you've, you've kind of, you, you've followed the formula and you feel that that by, you know, after a year, you should be, you know, um, getting by and making enough money. Do, do you find there's that kind of combination out there, that feeling or?
1: The second one's a tough one. Um, I don't think there is in this area a timeline. Um, I think after a 12 month run it, you get a good feel, you know, if we if we think about the failure rates of small businesses, um, not trying to talk negatively, but, you know, you've got the one year anniversary, the three year anniversary and the five year anniversary. And you look at the statistics, you know, very, very few get beyond that five um, to the dropout. So you should be, be, be getting a good favour. I personally say to businesses that it's you have to define success yourself. You know, if you try and define success because you're looking at somebody else's business or because you've read it in someone's book or whatever, then that's the first place I think you're gonna go wrong because you're gonna say, actually I need, I need to have a million pound business within a year. And, and I love the social media quote I saw the other day. He said, did you see the other day, that guy that he um, within uh, he start, started a business um, and he went to market, got customers really quickly. And after about six months, he did a turnover of a million pounds. And then there's the space void and it says, neither did I you know because, because it's not realistic is it you know so um you know a lot of businesses have a longer burn I don't I don't think there's a time frame I can necessarily say but I think you get a good feel after that year that the things that you've put in place uh, you start to see some leverage it's about knowing what's successful to you and then bringing back those success drivers okay what drives your success by definition so if I've got one client for example she only wants to work three days a week because she wants to look after her disabled son the other two days of the week rather than sending him off to a school that's success for her what does success look like that's enough for her that's what she'd measure as success for her business going forward others it might be a million pound and driving the Maserati and all that sort of stuff mm. so it's difficult from that side of it I think the 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 first the first question as well is that I think that for me leads into the again I guess some branding and some positioning um, and a conversation I have. I love storytelling, by the way, you know, you, you reference storytelling, I think it's so important to be storytelling. We've just um, just passed storytelling week, haven't we? And uh, you know, I was encouraged to share my story, which actually was for me was quite, quite powerful in itself uh, doing that. But I think one of the positioning pieces I see where businesses sometimes get wrong, and you, you've referred to like the artisan and them, is the I or the we, is that you know, and again, this is going back to your research with the customer, if I've got a, a market that see me as an individual, then I should be selling myself as the we, you know, sorry, I should be selling myself as the I, yeah. Whereas if someone sees my business as a corporate, you know, like a, an organisation, like an accountancy firm, for example, should we be more talking about the we rather than the I? And, and I think sometimes people have a business to sell, which is the I, and they don't want anything more than the I, but they feel that they've got to position themselves bigger and then talk about the we. Um, so, so,
0: that's very. I mean, and those two points are interconnected, aren't they? Because your your first answer there it reminded me of when the I was lucky enough to work, work with my last um, uh, in house job, should we say uh, I had, and there was I had a coach, a mentor. And I, I went to him and, and, and just sort of outlaid laid what I was looking to do. And uh, actually, funny enough, uh, Sally as well, who we were working together at the time, was was a fantastic mentor to me. And, and this was another mentor and, and, and a coach. And, and I said about all my idea, my business plan, what I wanted to do, why I thought there was a market and duh, 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 did all that detail. And they just said, right, well, just one thing to, to think of, you know, the most important question I have for you is, are you looking to do this to, to build a business and sort of grow an empire? Or are you doing this because you want to do something you're interested in and you want to get by? Well enough and provide for your family because you, knew you had a family and everything. And I said, well, it's the latter. Said, I'm not looking to grow a massive business and become the we. I wanted to be the I, and and that's exa- and that's how I've defined my business really, or try to at least. You know, there are collaborations and things like that which we did, which we do. But he said, you've got to get that clear right away because otherwise, after six months, you're going to be disappointed if you get it wrong. Because you're going to be going off on one fork of the road, and you should have been on the other one. And that I, I hadn't even really occurred to me that much before he said that. And but it, it seemed to, seems to define so much. You say so important.
1: Yeah, yeah. I do, I do think there's Some startups feel that they've got to position themselves here, you know, the big, big, the big established business already, and that's why people are going to buy from me. You know, I, I personally don't buy into the phrase that I have to be a limited company because people will buy from limited companies. You know, they, they buy from you if it's your if your business is you that they're buying that's what they're going to buy and so sell that that's yeah.
2: exactly right and i think i mean i think we're kind of beginning to get to a close here but i think it's um i think people a lot of people are frightened of being an entrepreneur do you think people think oh no that's too much for me i'd never be able to do that that's just too awful um
1: that's a good question i think i think there is a fear i think there's a fear in terms of Particularly if you're an employed role, you've got a, a regular wage, you've got other commitments in the family, it, it, is, a, it is a risk to, to be taken and quite often a startup business is has a force of nature behind that, whether it's maybe a redundancy or some sort of circumstance or actually disliking the job that they're in and therefore it sort of forces their hand to set that business up. Um, I. It's quite interesting when you look at the statistics right now in terms of why people are um, starting their businesses, and you you could relate it to redundancies. But I think you know we're seeing in the press, aren't we, a lot of activity and a lot of startups. I think we've had record numbers for startups in in January. Yeah, in Oxfordshire alone, and I think um, i I follow an organisation called Enterprise Nation, and uh, they do quite a lot of work with the the startups and supporting those, and they're reporting the similar numbers. And I think it's thinking about okay. It, it may be because people have been made redundant, but is it because some businesses have failed and they've pivoted um, and therefore they might be phoenixing? Is it because some businesses have happened to pivot, but they're protecting their existing business? So they're setting up a second business. But is there actually a lot of people are actually saying, actually, because of the pandemic, I've sort of stood back? I've had the interruption, the interruption or the intervention that I didn't want, but it's happened. And I've had that reflection point to say, actually, I don't want to do that commute into London anymore. Or I don't want to do the, um, the, the the rat the rat race as as I call it and actually I'm going to st- take some control of my destiny and and that does take a risk but it's driven by it's driven by a passion and I think an entrepreneur when they can see something they have a vision and there's something that they're passionate about that starts to get the balance with the, the, the risk right and I think if you're an entrepreneur and you can see that vision and the passion and you can make risk calculated decisions. Um, then that's that's when people will feel more comfortable with with a startup or or taking that leap of
2: faith yeah that's really interesting and they'll be prepared possibly to because their passion is so important to them to actually do some of the marketing right by giving letting someone else do it and some people are so passionate about their um, business that it's you're briefed by someone who's really passionate you can get it you do get it all of a sudden you think oh this is what i'm selling this is what i'm doing for you
1: yeah Uh, but you know i my, my marketing company that I used to, ha- used to have was um, in in Oxfordshire. There used to be a lot of consultants that used to go, go around and like to write the marketing plans, but didn't want to be held any responsibility to that marketing plan whatsoever. And we used to have an organisation that just was basically in um, execution and delivery. And we, we could pick up work quite easily because people that was the bit that people were fearful of doing um, or they
2: tried what was in the plan and therefore
1: hadn't had any success with it.
2: So I, mean, I, th- I think the other side of that is that people, are, people kind of think that they can um, that if it doesn't work, it means they're a failure, and actually that's not true. It's 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 really not true. It, it may not work brilliantly to begin with, but cool, never mind. Off we go. Let's try something different. And you have to have that kind of try, try, try again thing. I mean, you just have to burn your cake several times before you make the perfect scone. I've
1: I've not met a business owner yet that's not had a, a bumpy ride. You know, in terms no, of I know, they, and you'd rather hope they would actually, because then
2: they make you get thicker skin.
1: Yeah, and, and as we were saying earlier, you learn perhaps more from that. Um, but you know, it's all about learning from your outcomes, you know. Yeah, Everything's an exactly. outcome. Right.
0: Yeah, exactly. I've got a final two parter again. I'm sorry, I'm being really sadistic today with my two parters. I feel I feel like I'm at one of those government press briefings, you know. Uh, but uh, it's uh, it, it's relatively straightforward, I think. Though, but what what was about which, which I noted down here in my notes about about the human side or human cost of this. We've said about you know you being the person investing time, money, and. In in doing the work you're doing, but um, one thing I think perhaps people get is is the fear of burnout. Perhaps if they do then become an entrepreneur and they're working all the hours, God sends. You hear about people, you know, absolutely they thought it was going to be great fun, but then they they work out there's an awful lot of work to do, and and you know. So what what's the kind of particularly at this time, you know, how people can try and any tips you have on sort of work life balance for the entrepreneur in particular. And then uh, the final bit would be: uh, What's one thing that someone absolutely shouldn't do in their uh, when they're starting out, and what's one thing they absolutely should do as they're starting out the first couple of months? I'm nicking a bit of that from Sally, by the way, who came up with the idea about what they should, what they shouldn't do. And I thought I'd expand on it. So I'm it giving This is a we, Sally not back.
2: an I.
0: It is a we, not an I. Absolutely. Sorry, sorry, Mike. We're.
1: That's good. I um. Well, I'll, I'll take the second part of your now three-part question, um, <laughs> and, and if it's a government briefing, I'd probably say next next slide, please. But anyway, <laughs> um, but I'll take the second point of what you shouldn't do, um, and I think shouldn't do probably relates to burnout and work-life balance, because the thing you shouldn't do is everything. Yeah. Don't try to do everything. It will end up an expensive decision, in in my opinion, um, because there'll be some wastage in there. And and quite often, as I said earlier, that hidden cost, you know, we can cover, when we look at our accounts, we can count the amount of pounds, shillings and pence we've spent, but what we don't often count is the time we've wasted in doing certain things. Mm -hmm. So I'd suggest, first of all, that you sort of gain that understanding of your market, choose the right channels and tactics to pull those ideal customers towards you. And then I think very few small businesses are actually mass market products. So I think it's then, and I think then too many think that their market can be for everyone. Um, so I think the shouldn't do is thinking about everything. You can do everything and thinking about you can do um, do it for everyone. I think from a burnout perspective, I think it's, you know, I'm a huge planner. If you looked at my, my diary, you look about how I work with my clients, it's about trying to be as disciplined as we can on the the valuable time that we have Um, and part of that valuable time is our personal time and I think again through the pandemic people have realized that more than ever Um, probably starting to see now that it's actually starting to stretch because people are working from home into that but you know again what's important to you why ultimately why are we running our businesses why as entrepreneurs have we started a business um, you know as you said earlier to provide for the family tick in a box to have a um, more time at home to look after my Family to have time for hobbies to do keep fit or whatever that may be again, what people found through the pandemic, and hence why I think there's been that sort of change. So, having it real clear and being I, I plan now. So, for example, I um, through the pandemic have been really focusing on my health and fitness. So, you'll now see s- slots in my diary where I'm focusing on doing things for my health and fitness. Whereas before, I didn't have them in my diary, and it was very easy for things to get other things are classed to be as important or more important to, to overtake them. So I think for me, the work-life balance is about planning, knowing what's important. I call things high payoff activities. Those things that you have to do in your business for the development of your business without distraction. And if you're distracted or in- interrupted from doing those things, quite often that's where you start to get burned up because you're trying to do everything. You're trying to spin all the plates. You're probably not doing anything as effectively as you could do. Mm. I think the should do, um, I think the should do is all around clarity. Um, So I've referred to this earlier, but the should do, I think my message would be, have clarity about your business. What is it you are taking to market? Who are you trying to take it to market for? And what are the most appropriate channels to link those two in terms of taking that value to those ideal customers? And then, you know, when you've then got your customer into your funnel, do you have clarity about your sales funnel in terms of, you know, have you got six steps? Do you know where people are dropping out on those six steps? You're really clear on those those steps for your sales process. And then when they become a customer, how do you not only deliver the promise that you said, so how do you deliver that as effectively and efficiently with your systems and processes, but also from a marketing perspective, how do you maintain your customer relationship at every step of your customer journey? So that again, they move from that awareness consideration purchase stage through to the advocacy and loyalty stage. So they buy more from you, they refer you more often, and then come that full loop again in terms of the customer. That that would be my should do
2: again. Clarity. That's that's really clear. Good. Excellent. I hope everyone's taking notes.
0: (laughs) I certainly have been. Thank you very much. Yeah. Taking on the three parter, the, the hybrid three parter <laughs> <laughs> question there, like, It was great. Okay, I think it hopefully nicely as well sort loops everything back around to you know to, to where we began. But I mean, gosh, we as you said, but pricing, all sorts of things. We could talk all day. We'll have we'll have to have you on again at some stage if you'd be happy to, because it'd be great to go in to explore some of these other topics in more depth. But we really appreciate your time today. It's- I found it absolutely fascinating, and it, it, I, I'm, I'm keen that people should know, uh, you know, where, where to find you. And where, where where are your watering holes? What what where are you, and who you who you looking to connect with and have conversations with, Mike? What's your sort of, uh, you know, spectrum of activity at the moment?
1: Where where do I hang out? Well, as you kindly referred to in the introduction, I do run networking groups in Oxfordshire. Um, it's the Oxford Business Community Network is the is the body that uh, we run. That we have a great community. That's where I. Hang out. I love my networking. Anybody who knows me knows that I love my networking and engagement, and collaborating. Otherwise, you'll find me again. I do love my social media: um, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and um, Facebook a little bit, um, and then um, my website, entrepreneursmentor.co.uk. If somebody is looking to develop their business, there's some real good tools on there, too. Some free resources and a report that they can download as well.
0: That's excellent. Fantastic. That, that, that's really brilliant. Thank you so much, uh, Mike. And I, I'm thank also going to take a look at some of the the, the the Traction book you mentioned as well. I'm interested in that now and and all those other areas. I've actually I did. I went on your website, I think it was a few months ago, and I found it really helpful with those to say those those free resources you had. It's a really good place to have a delve. So uh, and thank you once again for your time today. It's been absolutely brilliant. Really enjoyed it.
1: No, Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Sally, for, for having me. Much appreciated. Love the
0: conversation. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks very much, and uh, bye to everyone. See you again soon. Bye, everyone. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. And thank you once again to Mike there for his fantastic insights uh, today on our, our special interview about entrepreneurship and marketing. And, uh, well, we hope that that's inspired some thoughts amongst uh, those entrepreneurs out there and small business owners and also marketers who are, who are working with entrepreneurs. If you'd like to uh, send any questions to us, you can contact us on Twitter, of course, as usual, at MeandersPod, email meanderspod at gmail.com, or find us on Facebook, send us a message, whatever you fancy. And if you like the show, then please do subscribe and, and share with your friends who might find it interesting thank you very much everyone take care bye for now